unless there's something going on that would be abnormal, you're typically only going to need one. one and and is it is it just just so I understand? It, is it like buy one get one free, or is it like <laughs> a, is, it, is it all the same price for each cycle? <laughs> Welcome back to Dear Shandy, listeners. Hello, Andy. Hello. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. Yeah, I'm happy about this guest. Very excited. I know, me too. This is a very popular topic. It is. This one has come up a lot. And I will admit right off the bat, this is my disclaimer, I know absolutely nothing on this topic. So I feel like I may word things or ask things in a way that would, you know, give away my layman-ness. Laymanity. (laughs) Laymanity on the topic. But thankfully, we are joined today by a very qualified guest. Whitney is an experienced experienced fertility nurse. You, of course, may remember her. I have to mention it from season... (laughs) Well, it is how we know each other from season 19 of The Bachelor, Chris Soule's season. Uh, She may or may not have been the winner, but, you know, ancient history now. (laughs) She is... (laughs) She is from the team behind Ova Egg Freezing, based in Chicago. And so I'm very excited that she really has a lot of firsthand experience with this because she's also a mother and froze her own eggs in 2013, Mm -hmm. correct? I love that you went through that so you can speak both as a service provider and a patient. And she has appeared on ABC's Nightline, Good Morning America, Extra TV, and in various publications, including People, Us Weekly, E! Online, Chicago Tribune, Shape the Bump and Women's Health. Whitney, wow. we're so thankful to be joined by you today. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me and to help continue the conversation regarding this really important topic. Yeah, honestly, I wasn't sure because, you know, we're a relationship podcast. And I don't know if I would have predicted when we started this podcast a little over a year ago that fertility would be a topic that would come up. But it mm-hmm. actually has been requested a lot along the way. And then when I asked the Shandies, for questions. Man, did they deliver. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And often when we do these hot topic episodes, they fall into two categories. So one would be confessions and one would be based on your expertise. And Mm -hmm. so, for example, when we had a sex therapist on, a question was, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen? You know, but actually with you, most of the questions just fell into practical fertility questions. (laughs) Okay, good. Not putting me on the spot here with any sort of like nursing confessions. (laughs) (laughs) No, whether you like it or not, I guess. We'll get to that. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to start off pretty basic. In your experience, what would you say are the top three leading contributing factors to infertility? Oh, gosh, there's so many, but top three. So I would say hmm, leading factors, age would be number one. Okay. Especially, you know, as women, we're now waiting longer to, you know, start families because we're furthering our education. We're not just settling for a significant other because we want to start a family. We're realizing that we have more options and control on our future with, you know, egg freezing and things like that so that we can, you know, take control and have it all because we deserve it all. Right. But I would say that, you know, we can't take away the fact that our bodies are made to have children in our twenties. And even though the times have evolved, you know, our bodies don't keep up with the times, right? So it's still, you know, 
our ages, our ovaries and our age is still a contributing factor. So I would say that was number one. Um, number two, I would say would be male factor, you know, something going on with, um, you know, the sperm. I think that a lot of times it's a misconception that women are the only reason that, you know, there's couples are struggling with infertility, but a lot of times it can be, um, you know, a low sperm count or no sperm, um, or sperm shape or motility or many different things that kind of go into that. So I would say that could be another top reason. Um, oh my gosh, there's so many reasons. I'm trying <laughs> you, to think what would be another top three. You don't have to limit yourself to three. <laughs> oh my gosh. Other reasons that could be um, as if someone had a vasectomy or had had a tubal ligation and they, you know, wanted to reverse that and try to get pregnant with maybe a second marriage, or maybe they kind of jumped the gun the first time when they went through that, you know, either getting their tubes tied or the vasectomy and ready to undo that. Um, I would say there's also this thing called PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is an ovulation disorder, many other ovulation disorders that can affect obviously the woman releasing an egg, um, recurrent pregnancy loss, which is a woman that is continuing to have miscarriages. Um, there can be many things that contribute to that. It could be something autoimmune or blood clotting disorders that can, you know, contribute to that recurrent pregnancy loss. But and I'm sure I'm missing a few, but there's the reasons for infertility are endless. Endless, wow. really. That Environmental is... exposures, I'm sure, that we don't even know. I'm curious that, that we have seen a rise, I think, in infertility in mm -hmm. the last couple of decades, right? Is that true? That's mm -hmm. true. Is yeah, that, absolutely. Do you, do you think that's, I, I know it's a combination of the two, but do you think it's more a result of uh, the, the age, the increased age at, you know, the I think that's the biggest the biggest thing is that That's women are waiting longer to get pregnant. And honestly, though, I feel like the fact that we are taking kind of this stance and that we're not settling for men and we're, you know, not, not that there's anything wrong with like getting married younger. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily settling or having children younger. I don't want it to come across yeah. that way. But I think that times, you know, in the past, maybe women wouldn't have, you know, continued in the dating pool or wouldn't have gotten, went and got their master's or extended their education or wouldn't have traveled the world because they all think of their biological clock to where now we are waiting longer. And that is, I would say, one of the biggest reasons we do see more and, infertility. And what I was, what I was going to ask Essie was, was if you, if you account for that, if you assume that, that age is excluded, would you say that um, environmental impacts like chemicals, that all the different types of products we're using and all these different environmental impacts are having a, a really significant effect as well? Or is that I'm speculation? sure that they are. To what degree? I don't know that anyone knows. I mean, when we talk about ovarian reserve and the things that can affect a woman's ovarian reserve environmental exposures definitely are, but do we know exactly what that is? I mean, we know that nicotine, for example, can directly affect the quality of a woman's eggs, but to what extent certain chemicals or different things in the environment, we don't really know. I mean, there's different people that I'm sure have different takes on it, but there's no like published data that's telling us, you know, specifically like stay away from this one specific thing aside from nicotine that would be a known carcinogen, you know, to fertility as well. Okay, just because this one did come up a lot, would you say weight is a factor? 
Yes, I think being underweight or overweight is going to affect a woman's fertility for sure. I mean, you know, if a woman is too thin, many times she will stop menstruating. So that obviously is going to mean that there's no ovulation taking place and is going to affect the chances of a woman getting pregnant. But if you're overweight, just like that's affecting other systems within your body, you know, it's not good for your heart. It's not good for, you know, your endocrine system. It's not, you know, so many different things. Fertility is no different. So we always say it's important, you know, to just take care of your body, just like you would for other reasons um, in your life. Fertility is no different. So the big number we always hear about, the big age number is Uh 35. We always hear about 35 and how fertility basically falls off a cliff after 35. (laughs) How much stock do you think women should put in that specific number? Do you think that's accurate or do you think there's more wiggle room? I think it is accurate, but I don't think that on your 35th birthday that your ovaries know and all of your eggs fall out of your body and that you're Mm -hmm. sterile and doomed, you know, the way I always um, like to explain this topic. And it's important that we, you know, we do kind of get in front of it. And so women know that age is very important, especially after we get into our thirties with 35 being kind of, like you said, that it number, but it's not, we don't want to scare people. So when we think about ovarian reserve, we know that we're born with all of the eggs that we will have in our lifetime. And there have been a lot of studies done trying to understand what the average rate of decline is. Um, Those studies obviously are looking at just age and the rate of decline, not taking other factors like genetics, pre-existing medical conditions, medications, et cetera. But what those studies show is that by the time a woman starts her menstrual period, she's lost over half of the eggs that she was born with. At 30, we see a little bit of a decline in reserve. And then at 35, typically the steepest decline. But like I mentioned, your ovaries don't know exactly when you turn 35. And science is not that black and white and cut and dry. So there's many other factors that come into play. But 35 is an important number. I, I was expecting you to go softer on that, but that was brutally honest. <laughs> we don't want soft. <laughs> okay. So a woman, let's say, is curious about testing her fertility. She's sort of mm-hmm. on the fence. We got a lot of questions along this line. It's like, well, mm-hmm. I want to keep my options open, but I'm not sure. How would you suggest that she test her fertility in sort of just a just to be proactive? Does she need to book an appointment or can she do one of those at-home tests like modern fertility? Oh, or whatever? I love this question. I love this question. <laughs> First of all, for the person that's on the fence, um, I feel like obviously knowledge is power and just gathering the information is not you know, it's not forcing you to continue to move forward onto the next step, whatever that next step is going to be, but it's helping you gather information about your health just and kind of be proactive versus, you know, when you go get pap smears or being proactive about that, when you get mammograms or being proactive, I think by checking your fertility and checking in with that, you're being proactive for your reproductive health. With the testing, as you mentioned, making an appointment or using one of these, you know, online or you can kits that you can get sent in. I want a disclaimer, there's nothing wrong with doing the kits, mm-hmm. um, but I think it lacks the human touch. So when we think about reserve testing, it's important that it's done comprehensively. And that typically includes four hormones in the blood that should be timed specifically with your menstrual period, as well as an ultrasound. So with those kits, you know, you may, depending on I think what you purchase as far as your subscription, you may get the blood test done, but they're not doing an ultrasound, which is a very important kind of key thing. Um, So 
I feel like that's kind of one of the downsides of it. The other thing is, is when you get the results back, it comes with this automated sort of printout. And I think that when women get that, if the results aren't great, they're left to Dr. Google to help figure out what the hell they're supposed to do with these numbers. This totally happened to me, by the way. Yeah. So um, by going to a facility um, and getting that done, it's more comprehensive. And, you know, at OVA, what we do when we schedule all of the testing is that they meet with a nurse following once everything's done to review every test in detail and kind of go through it step by step by step and go through what those hormones mean and what could be the possibility that it's outside of the range. Because sometimes numbers are outside of the range um, for other reasons outside of being infertile or having decreased reserve. So it's important that that human touch is there and nothing can really replace that um, in a kit or anything like that. So again, nothing is wrong with doing that, but I think the expectations need to be managed about what could happen if the results aren't great. So on that topic, almost a year ago, I did do a modern fertility test because I was feeling I wanted to do it in the most passive way possible. And your answer really resonates with my experience because all of my numbers came back normal except for my TSH, which was totally zero. And of course, then I went down the Google rabbit hole. My sister's a doctor. I asked her a million questions. And then as I did more research and had many more blood tests and appointments, it actually, I think, ended up costing me far more than if I had just gone to to a specialist in the first place, because it turns out that I was taking biotin supplements, which affected how my thyroid readings came out, but didn't, it, my thyroid was actually totally normal, my mm-hmm. thyroid readings. And your answer just really lines up with my experience. It was a really, it was bizarre. I was like, oh, suddenly if I feel like the option's taken away from me, how does this change my perception on the right. idea of conceiving? But actually I spent almost a year going in circles over something sort of unrelated, if that makes right. sense. Right. Yes. And kind of also piggybacking on what you said, um, you know, I feel like a lot of women get the testing done to just kind of see what things are and when the results look good. So let's kind of take it the other way mm-hmm. and say everything looks perfect. I think a lot of times women think, oh, I've got time mm-hmm. where truthfully, what we should be educating women is when it looks good, when your reserve looks good, that's when you want to take the next step in terms of fertility preservation. That's part of being proactive. You don't want to wait till there's a problem and then we're scrambling trying to treat you to get enough eggs to freeze. Mm -hmm. So again, I think it's an education piece as well. um, That's really important with, you know, the decision to freeze your eggs. You got to be educated and educated correctly. All right. So on the topic of freezing one's eggs, is there such a thing as too young or too old? The younger, the better. I mean, because we know when we think of ovarian reserve again, which is this kind of broad spectrum term that has the quality and the quantity of a woman's eggs underneath it. We know facts, science tell us over and over again that when we're younger, our reserve is higher. The quality of our eggs is higher. We have more eggs. As we get older, that's going to go down. Now, again, the rate of decline is different from woman to woman, but we know kind of those key age factors that we talked about previously. Um, I would say as far as how old, again, it comes back to management of expectations. 
I truthfully believe that any time is better than no time if the woman is informed about what that may mean. So if a woman comes in and she's 40 years old and she wants to freeze her eggs and we do her fertility testing and we see that there is decreased fertility and that we would likely need to do several cycles to freeze enough eggs to really make it worth her while for her to have good success if and when she would need to come back and use them. And she still wants to proceed knowing, hey, for me to get 25 eggs to freeze, because the older we are, the more eggs we need to freeze because the quality of all of them is not great. It may take me three or four treatment cycles and she still wants to proceed, then great. But for some women, I think that, you know, I would say after... 40, it may not be a great option for them because it is a financial burden a lot of times. And it's not always going to be a success. That's because you freeze your eggs is not a 100% guarantee that you would have a baby from those eggs. Okay. I have what might be a really dumb question, but let's say when you say younger, the better, is that simply a matter of quantity or is it also quality? Also quality. Quality is just as important as quantity. I mean, and quite honestly, I would rather have fewer good quality eggs than a ton of poor quality eggs, right? Because when you freeze the eggs, they're frozen indefinitely. So they're always going to stay at the quality of which they were when you froze them. So you continue to age, but your eggs will always stay the age they were when you froze them. But let's say you froze a 40-year-old froze, let's say she 30 eggs. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, and a 30 year old froze 10 eggs. The 30 year old is still going to likely have a better chance of success than the 40 year old wow. because of the quality. Ooh. There's a higher drop off in an attrition rate that we call it that happens as we age. So if we think about our ovaries as machines and they slow down, um, it's harder to kind of pump out good quality eggs the older that we get. So even though we may have the number, the quality's not there. You know, that's a big piece of the equation. Okay, so let's say a woman is 30 and isn't even sure if she wants kids. Mm-hmm. Obviously, egg freezing is an investment. It is. Do you, I, I guess, where's the line between her just being proactive and preventative and and sort of taking her chances, I suppose? Yeah. Um, are these all questions from the Shandies? These are great questions. <laughs> these have, are wonderful. We have great um, listeners. So I'll tell you a little personal experience here. So before I got into specifically working with fertility preservation, I spent many years in the IVF clinic working with different demographics of women and men. Um, and the demographic or the group that I worked with that hit home the most for me was what we call third-party reproduction. So those are couples that are having to utilize a third party, so either a donor sperm, donor egg, surrogate, to get pregnant. And many of these women had missed their window. So they were unable, you know, they've gone through several IVF cycles unsuccessfully. And you're telling them that if you want to have a baby, your options are adoption or utilizing an anonymous egg donor. And you can imagine as a a woman that wanted to have children, that there's an innate sense of just loss or grief that goes along with that to tell someone that, you know, 
something that you want that your body should be able to give you, you can no longer do because you miss, you're now too old or that you have decreased reserve for whatever reason it could be. I mean, could, could be a young person that had premature ovarian failure. You know, there's so many different things, but that's grieving process. And these women would talk to me a lot about that. And part of my job was just to listen. And here I was at 27 years old, listening to these women be like, I wish I would have frozen my eggs. I wish I had that opportunity. There's no amount of money that I would not have paid to have those now, right? Mm -hmm. Hindsight is 2020. And a lot of those women didn't even have the option to freeze eggs because egg freezing is somewhat of a newer technology. When you look at it compared to other parts of reproductive medicine, it's still somewhat in its infancy. So when I was, you know, starting in this field, a lot of times it wasn't recommended to freeze your eggs because the success with the egg freezing was really wasn't there. But for these women, just knowing that they could have made that decision or that, you know, they couldn't for whatever reason, because of money, finances, time, whatever it was, makes it an even tougher pill to swallow. So that to me was the light bulb that went off. That was like, I need to freeze my eggs. I'm 27. I trust in this science. I trust in the people that I'm working with and the experts in the field. I know not a lot about life except for the fact that I want to be a mom. And so I did it. And I will say many of my friends at the time thought I was crazy, looked at me like it was an act of desperation. You're so young. You're not going to need it. And you know what? Hopefully I won't need them. But for me, the peace of mind throughout the past 13 years that it's given me has been completely worth every day. I have. Oh. oh, I have a quick question. All my questions are dumb, by the way. I just want to <laughs> no, preface none that. No, questions are dumb. I, no. I have like a hundred dumb questions <laughs> I keep shuffling through, and I, this is the least dumb at the moment. I'll come up with another one soon. But like everyone's had, you know, ice cream or like a pizza left over in the freezer for like too long, and it's, mm-hmm. does it, it's not good. Is a frozen egg as good always as a not frozen egg? Yes, they can be frozen indefinitely without any chance of harm to the actual quality of that egg. Wow. Okay. That's crazy cool, actually. Right? Yeah. I always say, don't you wish we could do that with other parts of our body? Or ice ice cream. (laughs) Get rid of that freezer burn. Oh, seriously. I wish, yeah, I wish we could do that with, yes, everything. Yeah. 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 I'd like Mm -hmm. to sit out the next like 20 years if possible. (laughs) Do you have a machine for that? (laughs) You can (laughs) wish. I have what might be a personal question, and you don't have to answer this one. Mm -hmm. It was not a question that was asked, it's just based Mm -hmm. on your answer. When you did get pregnant and you were now, you're now a happy mother. was that with one of your frozen eggs or did you conceive naturally? Um, we conceived naturally. I did not conceive naturally. We did. Okay, <laughs> My sorry. husband and I. Um, and I will say, though, on the timeline that I had in my head, it was not going on the timeline that I wanted. I wanted things to be going a lot quicker. So we did have a discussion with Dr. Brian Kaplan, who is the physician that I work with to this day and who also froze my eggs, um, about, you know, what would he recommend? Did he recommend tapping into those eggs? Um, And his question to me is, how large of a family do you want? You've got to think about that. And I was like, well, I would like to have more than one child. I mean, I don't know how big at this time, but I like to definitely have at least two. And he said, well, keep those eggs frozen. Do not touch those eggs because you're going to only continue to get older. And if we tap into those now, you know, we want to be sure that 
you have some to work with in the future. And to be quite honest, I hadn't, we'd only been trying to get pregnant like three months. Again, I was like jumping the gun in my mind. I thought it would just happen the first time, which is crazy because I worked in a fertility clinic, but (laughs) I always think I'm going to be different, right? I think everyone does. um, We just continued, you know, to be patient and eventually, yes, it did happen. So I did not use the eggs, but it was definitely something that I thought about, but I'm very glad that we have them now and that we kept them there as an insurance policy mm-hmm. yes okay so who would you say is not a good candidate for egg freezing is there is oh, there such a thing so I, it's easier for me to say who is a candidate versus who is not just because i feel like there's so many reasons to freeze your eggs versus not to aside mm-hmm. from it is expensive it's a financial you know investment um and there's no way around that unfortunately i mean insurance companies are becoming more apt to help out with it, but still not as much as what we would like. But hopefully with time, um, more insurance companies will see the benefit of providing that for their clients and companies, et cetera. So I would say a person that would not be a candidate, the reserve, if they came in to do reserve testing and they their reserve was so low that the risk of going through a surgical procedure would be greater than the benefit of possibly mm. getting one egg, we would counsel them likely against it. Um, after a certain age, it likely would be, you know, not beneficial to the woman as well. I mean, because you have to think about like, even though it's a low risk procedure, it's obviously a procedure and there's always going to be risks involved. Um, someone that has pre-existing medical conditions that are severe. Um, again, this is an elective procedure. So a woman's health is obviously their overall health is obviously more important than doing an elective procedure. So if there's anything that's going to put that woman at risk, we always want their treating physician, whether it be cardiologist, neurologist, you know, any, whatever it is, gastroenterologist to sign off that they are okay with it. Um, especially with the hormone injections, making sure that there's not going to be any sort of contraindication to medications that they may be on to be treating a pre-existing medical condition. Hmm. So those are just some factors. Again, it's not black and white. It's not like there's three things that if you're this, you can't freeze your eggs. Hmm. It's more of a customized approach, which is why it's important to work with a facility that you feel comfortable with. Um, And really having that continuity of care between all fields, especially for women that have those chronic medical conditions. I I was I was under the impression, again, stupid question, (laughs) stupid thought. I was under the impression that freezing your eggs was an extremely benign and harmless procedure. Like what percentage or what one out of how many people run into serious uh, complications? Very, very few. But just like with getting your wisdom teeth pulled, there's nothing that's zero. Never anything in life is zero or 100%, right? So I would say less than 1% do we ever see a complication. I could probably count on my hand um, if I've ever seen a complication. Those complications are not always severe. You know, sometimes there um, are things what we call ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, and that can be a mild sort of condition following the retrieval that causes some fluid buildup. But I would say if it was a severe reaction, I would even very, very low. But it exists. There's always a risk of infection if you're going in for a surgical procedure and there's, you know, Anytime that you're putting a foreign object in your body, there's always going to be a risk of infection. There's always going to be a risk of bleeding. So some slight risk, but probably south of a colonoscopy. Some are a little below a colonoscopy, but above like getting your teeth cleaned. 
somewhere in there. <laughs> Above getting your teeth clean. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and I would say, yeah, it's somewhere like wisdom teeth being pulled. Okay. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's an outpatient procedure, but again, every procedure comes with risks. Okay. Okay. I'm very curious. And again, <laughs> I feel like all our questions are really dumb because I feel like maybe people who have done any research know what this looks like from beginning to end. But I would like you to walk us through the process of freezing your eggs from the absolute beginning to the very end. That's a good question. Oh, and also, uh, while you're at it, are there any steps within that that you, in your experience, have found patients were surprised by or that was unexpected? All right. So, and I am only speaking from the, you know, how we do things at OVA. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that there may be ways that other people do things and there's not necessarily a one size fits all different physicians, different teams have different approaches. They may streamline things differently and that is fine as well, but this is just how we do things at OVA. So we always start out with an educational complimentary call. Well, I think egg freezing is amazing and I wish everyone would do it. I understand that it's not the right decision for everyone and that is okay. But to be able to make the choice, you need the foundation and the tools and the education on the topic to decide whether it's right for you or whether it's not. So that's why that's a complimentary sort of call where we just go through what is egg freezing? What is an X freezing? What's the good parts? What's the downside? What is ovarian reserve? Kind of going through all of this terminology so that the woman can kind of have, again, that baseline foundation. From there, the next step is deciding if you want to do that ovarian reserve testing. So we mentioned that is where we do the four blood tests um, timed with your period. We also do an ultrasound to look at the ovaries so that we can have a comprehensive, again, comprehensive view of what the woman's fertility looks like. When those results come back, it is put into a report for her to have for her records. A nurse will review every step with her so that she understands what it all is. And then at that point, we will schedule her with a physician to kind of take it one step further. The reason we streamline it that way is that at this point, we have the nurse that has gotten the medical history, kind of gone through the baseline knowledge of egg freezing, the ins and the outs. Now we have the ovarian reserve testing. The patient knows what they were testing is, what the results are. So then that way, when they get in front of a physician, they can, you know, kind of have the harder questions, shoot the, you know, kind of conversation on a higher level with them to where they can understand more about the procedures and the ins and the outs from a physician's point of view, where it's, I think, a little bit more in depth. And then from there, the physician can say, this is how I would treat you because it's a more customized conversation, having all of those building blocks to start with. Mm -hmm. So the physician's going to say, okay, now that we have your results, I know your history. I know, you know, all of this sort of thing. This is the protocol I would use. This is the dosing of the medications I would use. This is the number of cycles that I would recommend for you and really focus on that management of expectations, which is key. I think a lot of times women think that sometimes this is just going to be, you know, a one cycle and then you're done. But for some people, it's going to make more sense to do this more than once. So by getting in front of that before the woman's made the decision to proceed, it's an easier pill to swallow than if that was never explained to you. You come out of your first procedure and you're like, you <laughs> good to go. Again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So all of that is explained to the woman before she ever makes the decision if she's going to freeze her eggs. You can do the initial testing and decide that you don't want to move forward. You know, you it could be recommended that you do two cycles, but you really only want to do one. 
all of it, there's by no means, you know, where you're signing up on the dotted line that you have to continue at any point you can back it out. Um, once we have the recommended protocol, we have um, patients meet with our financial coordinator to discuss costs. Um, if we they have insurance coverage, we'll call on their behalf to see, you know, is there coverage for the treatment? Is there coverage for the meds? Um, if not, are you self-pay? Do you have med coverage but not treatment coverage? Kind of ironing out all of those details. And then from there, we start talking about treatment and logistics of that. So when I say treatment, that's the medication. So that's 10 to 14 days of giving yourself hormonal injections. A lot of times women don't like hearing that. <laughs> so I think I that's my, one of the things people just... are like, wait, I'm taking hormones, but I have to give myself a shot. And then they say, well, do I come into the office to get my shot every day? And when we tell them that the majority of the time it's given at home, they're like, what? But then I say, well, hold on just a second. We you know, thoroughly prepare you for the injections. You meet with the nurse, you go through um, sample injections if you would like. We kind of have you work with them so they're in your hands, so you know how to mix, administer, store, all of that sort of thing. But even for the women that after that are like, I can, you people are crazy if you think that I'm going to inject myself with a needle, like loony. Um, we do offer a service to where a nurse can come to your home to provide, you know, and to give you the shots. And sometimes people just want that for like the first or the second night. And that's totally fine. Other times people want it the entire treatment cycle. That's fine. But I would say the majority of women, once they do that first shot are like, this is not as bad as what I thought. I think in our mind, the unknown is always the most scary, right? So we kind of make up this image in our head. I'm not going to be able to do this. This is going to be awful. But then once they do that, like I said, first night, I'm like, that wasn't bad. I've got this. So does any, sorry to interrupt. Sorry to interrupt. Does anyone ever have their partner or a friend do it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we just would ask that if they can, you know, have the person that's going to be giving the shots on that educational conversation or at that meeting. But if not, we have videos available for, you know, demonstration videos for you to watch at home, your significant other, friend, partner, whatever, to watch at home too, so that you can kind of have it up and have that video rolling while you're doing it at home. So 10 to 14 days of those injections, they're just small needles that go into the fatty tissue, typically in your belly. And then throughout the 10 to 14 days, you would be coming into your location um, and do what we call monitoring. So monitoring is blood and ultrasound to see how you're responding to the current dose of your medications. So then that way, if the physician needs to titrate the dose, give you a boost, cut you back a little bit, you can do so and do so safely throughout that 10 to 14 days. So the closer you get to the end of that 14 days, the more frequently you are coming in to be monitored. So after that window period of about two weeks, you administer your last shot, which is your trigger injection. And that forces you to release your eggs or ovulate in about 36 hours. And that is when the retrieval is timed. So we try to time it somewhere around there. And The retrieval is done transvaginally and under twilight sedation. So the woman is put into a deep sleep to where she's not going to remember or feel anything. Um, The eggs are retrieved, which I can go into how that works if you want to, but um, they're retrieved transvaginally. um, I do want to hear. I do want to hear. Okay. Okay. So an ultrasound probe is inserted 
and where the physician can see the ovaries. And then along the ultrasound probe, there's a hole and a needle is put through that hole. So when you see the ovarian follicle, the physician will puncture the follicle with the needle. And then there's a suction that he operates or she operates with their foot. So it's a foot pedal. So you just press on that, that causes suction and the fluid is then aspirated or withdrawn from that follicle. And the egg is so, 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 so teeny tiny. You cannot see an egg with your naked eye, but it lives in that fluid. So that fluid is drained into a test tube. And then the test tube is given to an embryologist. And I always feel like this part is always so amazing to me. Because when you really get to be in the laboratory and see the expertise of these embryologists and what they do and how, you know, it, it takes a specially trained person, especially with egg freezing, because egg freezing is much different than embryo freezing. Um, it's just completely fascinating. And OVA is owned by a laboratory. So we get to kind of see all of that and to know the experience that these embryologists have. It just mesmerizing. Every time I'm in there, I get chills. So it's, the it's incredible. I, this is incredible. Issue, medicine then, is incredible. It's I, just incredible. Everyone's always focused on like electric cars and spaceships and rockets <laughs> and internet. This is the most amazing thing the humans it have is. done. And then when you witness it, it's like even cooler. So they put the test tube, they pour the test tube. The embryologist now has that test tube with the fluid that was drained from the follicle. So they have that. And there, while the physician is still, you know, undergoing the procedure and aspirating the other follicles and handing those test tubes off to the embryologist, the embryologist is at the same time you know, pouring that fluid into a Petri dish, looking underneath the microscope and counting the eggs that are seen. So by the time you go home that day, you'll know the number, total number of eggs that were retrieved. Um, at OVA, we only freeze mature eggs. So the eggs are then monitored for a little bit of time to see, you know, which out of the total num number are mature. Um, and I'll kind of review what that means in a second. But then the next day we call the patient and let the patient know, okay, these were the numbers frozen. So the mature, like the right or the good eggs, the best of the best that you have. So they're frozen, they're frozen indefinitely. And then for the patient, it's outpatient. So you go home, you rest, obviously you're going to be tired. You've been given anesthesia. And I would say the recovery on average is about two-ish days, some people less, some people maybe a day or some more, but it really depends on how many eggs were retrieved, how the woman stimulated, um, her own personal pain tolerance. So I would say about two to three days of feeling bloated, crampy. Um, and then as your ovaries start to heal and go back down to their normal size, because the ovary will have been enlarged with all of the hormones and the follicles that it makes. And then as your hormones go back down to their normal baseline level, you'll begin to feel better day after day. And you get your period about a week and a half to two weeks after the retrieval. This is incredible. Oh. I know, you're like, wait a second. I <laughs> <laughs> I just, it's like that movie, The Fantastic that? Journey. Is that, was that The Fantastic Journey where they shrink them down into a spaceship and they go like into the human body? <laughs> I like haven't a seen tiny that. little microscopic spaceship. That is really cool. Fantastic Voyage. The, oh. Isaac Asimov. Oh. Anyway. Sorry. <laughs> it's fascinating. 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 Uh, it is. Okay. It still amazes me every day, as I mentioned, that this is what I do. And to give someone, you know, 
the chance, it's really about the chance that if they want to be a mom, that they have that opportunity. It's not perfect, but to at least have the option and the fact that we're able to do this is mesmerizing so so I, I have a question okay you go you go uh, no <laughs> i know you go first if your question doesn't have to do with price tag then ask it <laughs> that was my question okay we're gonna get to like, price what, what does all that cost <laughs> me what is that gonna run what is that gonna run me? Funny man. <laughs> <laughs> he, he actually is but before we get there yeah, yeah. i have to just i'm just impressed at the logistical like the planning the scheduling of running a clinic like that. If you think about mm-hmm. everyone being on hormones for 10 to 14 days that bring them to a certain point, and then you have a 36 hour window, and then you'd need both the physician and the embryologist there for the procedure. Like that's and major. Anesthesia, every, yeah. everything. Oh, and yeah. that's like scheduling Tetris. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just had to get that out deal. of the way. I feel like I'm focusing <laughs> on the wrong part here, but no, that really blew my mind. It's a bigger deal than either of us thought, I think. It, for me, definitely, yeah, yeah. Definitely for me. Okay, I thought right. you just go in, you sort of like spread your legs, and that's it. <laughs> they just drop right out. <laughs> you cough, yeah. your eggs fall yeah. out, and that's it. <laughs> it's not that far from what I thought, <laughs> embarrassingly. Okay, so now, obviously, we're going to talk money. This one came up a lot. The Shandys mm-hmm. wanted to know what this costs. Uh, yes. Sorry, I'm stealing your thunder. Do you want to ask him? Uh, no, I, you can ask. <laughs> All right, let's talk money from beginning to end and then also including, I guess, maintenance or. Yes. Yeah. So, again, this is I can only speak for our facility. Costs are going to depend on obviously location of where you're going, but also location of in the United States. I'm thinking certain states are going to be more expensive. Mm. Um, But for us, the initial testing is. $500 to do that blood ultrasound consult with the physician to kind of just see what we're working with. Mm. And then from there, one cycle of egg freezing is $6,500, but that does not include your medications. So the medications are those injectable hormones that we mentioned. So those are ordered based off of what is recommended as far as the protocol, but the way that the physician picks the protocol is based off of your fertility. So when we talked about doing this younger, it actually makes more financial sense to do it younger as well. Because if we think of those hormones as gas and that in that machine, that ovary machine, the less it's working, the more gas you're going to need. So the more fertile you are, you don't need as many hormones to get that ovary, you know, pumped and working because it's doing so more efficiently. But as we get older and things start to slow down, we need a lot more of those hormones to, you know, kind of get those ovaries rocking and rolling. So hormones or the medications, the more you have, that's more dollar signs. So they're typically going to range somewhere between three to $6,000, depending on how fertile you are on top of your cycle price. Um, at our facility, we do include one year of storage and that cycle price of 6,500 and there's no hidden fees there. So it's not like you are going to get a bill from the laboratory and then anesthesia and then mm-hmm. for freezing costs. It's all in there. So everything is in that 6,500 except the medications. Now, when patients come in, we always take their insurance card and we will call on their behalf to see, are there treatment coverage? If there's not treatment coverage, which there's typically not, we're seeing more of it, but still not a high percentage. Do they have medication coverage? And we are seeing more and more women having med coverage. And I think that when women hear that, they're like, 
well, that's, you know, med coverage. Like I think they just think of their copay of Mm. going to a Walgreens, but when they hear the cost of the medications, it can be just as much, if not more than the cycle itself. Um, So we'll always call to get those answers for the woman so that she can have a breakdown of what this is all going to be. And then if someone is self-pay, we are able to get them discounted cash pay pricing um, with those medications. We extend that discount onto them at OVA. The maintenance of the eggs or the storage of the eggs after that first year is $500 a year. Which I think a lot of people are surprised here. It's not that bad, you know, mm-hmm. um, when you think about that $500 a year, you're like, okay, I can, I think that's more manageable than what people. Okay. Yeah. So it's like $15,000 pretty much plus some things. Well, depend- yeah. I mean, if you, and it sounds like if around. you need more hormones, you need more medication. Then right. Mm-hmm. It's around it like, it, like yeah. the middle mid range around yeah. 15,000. I love your transparency with that, by the way, because I feel like this topic like the cost of it i i feel like we've been hearing about egg freezing more and more but whenever you try to get the cost it's sort of nobody wants to be forthcoming yeah yeah no that was we we appreciate that yeah i really do and what would you have guesstimated i would have guesstimated somewhere between 15 and twenty thousand. okay so yeah. it was right in the ballpark. I would have guesstimated 10 to 15. So, oh, okay. okay. So it's about, it's smack dab in the middle. But, but, <laughs> yeah. what this, but what this doesn't account for is the fact that you have to turn that egg into a baby at some point. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. Okay. So <laughs> I want to ask about that. <laughs> That's <thing>. a little <laughs> catch. <laughs> well, yeah. So, so let's say you do want to access that though, then. So depending on what the diagnosis is when you come back to use them. So if you have a diagnosis of infertility, when you come back and want to use your eggs, it could be covered by insurance because they would say, we'll pay for this, obviously, depending on what their standards are and all of that, which it's the diagnosis of infertility is an odd one. So they basically insurance companies say, if you're a certain age, like if you're less than 35 and you've had unprotected intercourse for one year without a pregnancy, you're infertile. If you're over 35 and you've had unprotected intercourse for six months without a pregnancy, you're infertile. But it's that seems like a very personal. Like, yeah, yeah. How do they how do they prove that? They, is there a guy like hovering next to the window at your bedroom like all right. year? Like how the hell can you prove that? I don't so understand. It's, just, that. it's a little bizarre, but let's say you froze your eggs when you were thirty. You go on. You have two babies naturally, but you really want that third baby, and now you're struggling to conceive. We call that secondary infertility, and you want to tap into those eggs from when you were 30. But now you have an infertility diagnosis. It could potentially be covered, but let's just say that it's not for whatever reason. Let's just say I don't even know. It's not covered because you could get pregnant naturally, but you just really want to use your eggs because you're a little older and you want to reduce the risk of any sort of chromosomal abnormality um, if you were to get pregnant naturally. So let's say you did it because of that reason, then it's probably going to be as much on the tail end as it is on the front end. Um, It's pretty comparable. Okay. Hmm. But that, that one's tough because I would say a lot of women do have some sort of fertility coverage. And if they have that diagnosis, you know, I would say it it typically offsets the cost a bit, but I don't want to say that it's a slam dunk. Right. So it's safe to say that if you make, if, if you, if you decide to freeze your eggs with the intention of actually using those frozen eggs, you're committing to around ballpark $30,000, something like that. Yeah. 
Okay. I oh, I have another possibly dumb question, but let's say you you know money money is not an option, not an issue. You're mm-hmm. gonna go ahead and get that frozen egg. How how does what happens then? <laughs> what do like, you want to use the egg? Yeah, like so, do they insert it in you or do they in, well, inject I think the sperm? A great question. So basically, what happens is um, the egg is thawed. So all the, typically, it depends. You know how you're doing this when you're doing this. Sometimes people only want to thaw a portion of them, depending on how many they have. But let's just say you thaw all of them. So all of them are thawed, then we have to fertilize them with sperm. So when we think about how many of them fertilize, you know, you got to think about the male factor as well. If the sperm is okay, what the sperm looks like. So the the male would have to be evaluated because the last thing we want to do is thaw the eggs, get a specimen and there be no sperm. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you don't want to thaw and refreeze, thaw and refreeze. You don't want to do that because eggs are fragile. And I touched upon that a bit, but Eggs are only half of the chromosomes that you need to make a baby. So they're not as sturdy as an embryo. So when people think about IVF and egg freezing, it's two different ball games. The embryologists that are freezing eggs, it's a much, it's a fine-tuned technology because they are so fragile. So when we thaw them, um, when we fertilize them and they do fertilize, then we watch them grow for like five, six, seven days into what we call a blastocyst. That's just a good looking embryo. Um, from there, you have the option if you want to do genetic testing. Um, that's a conversation you would have with your your doctor if that's you know something that you feel like you would benefit from. Um, but if not, we plan for the transfer. And the way that we do that is we prep the woman's body with medications, again, to help thicken up the lining, quiet everything down so that when we implant the uterus, which is a pretty seamless procedure. It's not under any sort of anesthesia. The catheter is just inserted through the cervix into the top of the uterus. The embryo is then transferred. Um, and then you find out about eight, nine, 10 days later, if it worked. What would you say is the success rate with all that? Well, again, it's not like everybody fits in the square box. And I know no one likes to hear that answer, but it depends on the age of the time that you froze the eggs. Because again, quality is really important. And the only way we can evaluate the quality of a woman's eggs is to really fertilize it. So once all of the chromosomes are in there and it can be evaluated, that's really the only way. So there's nothing we can do up until that point. So it depends on the age of the egg. It depends on the quality of the sperm. Um, It depends making sure, obviously, the uterus has to look okay. Got to make sure that there's nothing funky going on there, which typically the uterus, I mean, in our facility, every single patient before we transfer an embryo, the uterus is evaluated. Um, Depends on the lining. You want your lining to be a certain thickness. You know, that's why we monitor you throughout. Um, It depends on if they repeat, you know, we call it PGTA, but if they were genetically tested for any sort of chromosomal abnormalities, the list goes on. But what we can say is that in our facility, the success rate of if you use a frozen egg, so let's say I'm 36. So let's say I wanted to use my 27-year-old eggs. I would have the success rate of an actual 27-year-old going through IVF, which oh, would be wow. Okay. Whoa. So that's the good way to kind of look at it. 
And and just because I'm I'm a numbers guy, if all else aside, everything being equal, you do a hundred of these, regardless of age, regardless of health, regardless of all of that stuff, a hundred of these, what's the success rate? Is it above fifty percent, but below fifty percent? Like where but I mean, you, she's like, gonna I, say that age. No, I know, I don't yeah. wanna I, <laughs> have to. Age is because it's the biggest thing. Are all of those women I know. Okay. are all of those women? Above 35? Or okay, all right, all let's say. 30, okay, you know? let's say. Above 35. Yeah, they're 35 to 40. All the women. Yeah, everything's. You, 100 exactly. women you test are 35 to 40. What percentage in your experience? Yes. Meaning they successful. froze their eggs when they were 35 or 40, or they're coming back to use them when they're 35? They, no, or 40? no. They froze them at 35 to 40, and they're using them whenever. How many did they freeze? See, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> they froze all so of them. So many different things. So typically, what we see as far as number of eggs frozen to success. Someone is less than 35 years of age. They need to freeze somewhere between 15 to 17 eggs to have an 80% probability of taking home one live birth. Wow. As we get older, that number is going to jump. So at 35, it's typically 17 to 20, 36, 20 to 22. It's jumping up. So if you're above 40, typically there's not going to be a lot of success after okay. freezing. Yes. It's not, about, it's not zero, but it's not going to be in your favor. Okay. Question. So, because if we are going to go back to the numbers, the money of it, that 6,500 plus the medication, that one round or that one cycle, as you put it, how many do you typically get from a 35 year old woman? So if you're less than 35, this, so there was this one study that was published. So again, it's only one. So you got to kind of take it you know, look at a little gray. Um, But what the study says is that for a woman less than 35 to get to that goal number of like 15 or so eggs, it took about one and a half cycles. So for some people, it took one, for others, it took two. Um, But the likelihood of a woman above 35 wanting to get to their goal number, typically most people are going to need more than one treatment cycle. So again, going back to the finances, not only is the medication going to be cheaper, but you're likely only going to need one or so cycles the younger you are. If you're less than 30, you're going to just, you know, unless there's something going on that would be abnormal, you're typically only going to need one, one cycle. And is it, is it just, just so I understand, it, is it like buy one, get one free? Or is it like, a, <laughs> is, it, is it all the same price for each cycle? So there are, you know, some facilities that will do like, um, multi-cycle packaging. Um, in our facility, the if you do more than one cycle and you don't have to commit to it firsthand, um, mm-hmm. but the second cycle would be cheaper than the first. Okay. The third okay. would be cheaper than the second okay. um, to offset that a little bit. But yeah, it's still expensive. Mm-hmm. Okay. So some other questions, I feel like I have to sort of catch up on time, but a few other questions that came up. Does birth control have any effect on fertility? And then if so, does the length of time, like let's say someone's on birth control for 10 years. Yeah, so it's not going to cause someone to be infertile. Birth control will not make you infertile. But what birth control does, so again, we're going back to this machine, this ovaries machine. If it has a light switch on it, it's turning that off. So it's putting it to sleep, basically. So it's not having to work. So when you go to turn it back on, Sometimes it's going to be a little rusty, a little sluggish because it has been working for a while. And we call this ovarian suppression. So everything just looks very low 
you know, and slow and like the hormones are super low. The ovaries can sometimes be a little bit smaller. They may not have a lot of follicles just because it's suppressed. But typically coming off of the pill for a couple months, a woman can bounce back from that. Um, not always, but a lot of times they will. Um, what about an IUD? Sorry. IUD is not systemic. So typically the hormones or even if it's not a hormonal, like the Paragard is that copper IUD, um, those hormones are working directly on the lining. So we don't see systemic ovarian suppression from that. Um, okay. And then does having an abortion earlier pose a risk in fertility later in life? Or is that a myth? It doesn't, unless, I mean, if there's long as there was no complications, you know, if it was not done at a reputable facility and there was some sort of complication that happened to the uterus or injury. Um, but again, we always will look at if a woman is going to be transferring an embryo, so going through the whole IVF cycle, so not necessarily fertility preservation, the uterus is going to be evaluated for any sort of adhesions or scar tissue or anything like that, um, that could have been left in there, but it okay. shouldn't necessarily cause infertility. Okay. So more or less myth. Yeah. Are there any natural options that you would suggest to women to increase their fertility, any daily lifestyle tips or supplements? So I wish there was a magic supplement that would increase fertility. Um, but you know, there have been some studies on certain sort of, I would say vitamins and supplements, so to speak, that can help the quality. It's not going to be a slam dunk. Again, it's not going to be like if your fertility wasn't wonderful and then you start taking these hormones it's or supplements, excuse me, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to have the fertility of a 20-year-old. But some studies have shown some improvement. We always tell women, though, before they start the supplements, they need to talk with their doctors. Some of them can have some adverse reactions depending on or interactions with medications or depending on your fertility. So you never just want to start taking them. But if you are a candidate, typically if someone's 38 or older or has decreased reserve, they would be a candidate to be able to start some of these supplements. And you should ask your physician what he or she recommends as far as the dosing of those. Oh. Um, if you are a smoker, stop. <laughs> That's just, um, it's, it's not good for sperm. It's not good for eggs. It, I mean, and that is a proven sort of fact, but other than that, I mean, living your life healthily, everything in moderation, you know, it, it's only going to benefit you. Speaking of that, I want to put this to rest once for all. I'm asking for a friend. Masturbation, frequent or infrequent for healthy sperm? What's better? Well, I mean, typically if we're going to do an analysis, what we would tell someone so we can get a good look at the sperm would be to abstain for three to five days. Um, if you were trying to get pregnant, sometimes doing it, some people are like, well, we had sex every day from here and here. Sometimes, you know, you've got to kind of let that sperm build back up. So a lot of times people will say maybe every other day to every two days, but to get the best look of the sample, we say three to five days. Okay. Mm -hmm. Actually on the topic of sperm, I'm slipping in another question. Is there such a thing as sperm freezing? And then yes. how is that equally effective? Oh, wow. for, yeah, I know. I actually oh, yeah. learned so that sperm, from a question someone asked. Wow. Sperm freezing has been around for a very long time. Um, we are not OVA. We are not a sperm bank. Um, we do have a brother company called ZOA, though. <laughs> and with sperm freezing, I feel like men should do it for themselves for many reasons. <laughs> 
you never know, like if there's going to be a health condition or, you know, something that is going to affect the sperm quality. So it's nice just to have it there indefinitely, in my opinion. Um, but there's also anonymous sperm donation. So when you hear of like sperm banks, so there's different banks throughout, you know, with women that want to get pregnant on their own or for same sex female couples, um, they're going to use sometimes, not always, but sometimes an anonymous sperm donor. Occasionally they'll know, you know, use sperm from someone that they know, but that's always frozen. So it needs to be frozen so it can be tested appropriately. Um, so there's sperm banks out there and, it's a much easier process for those boys than it is for the girls. No. <laughs> I feel I silly. Mean, I, I knew there were sperm banks, but I didn't realize that that was sperm freezing. I feel uh, dumb now. Is there anything other to it than just putting it in a tube and putting it in the freezer? Like, is it more oh, intense yeah, it's, than that? Definitely. It's like it's in a certain solution. It's washed. It's centrifuged. Yeah. So it's the seminal fluids kind of, you know, removed but, from but, it. But my job is very simple, I'm assuming, in this process. Oh, that's so not fair. Right? Oh, my God. It's, yeah, that's what I was saying. It's so simple for the guys. You guys just go in, do your thing, and you're done. While girls that are is... going through 10 to 14 days of hormonal injections, wow. a surgical procedure. Oh, and I don't even, I don't even want to ask, but I am going to ask, how much does it cost for a man to freeze his sperm? I honestly if... do not know. I would not be able to answer that. <laughs> 1995. <laughs> And if you act I'm now, sure, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure the cost differential is massive. <laughs> oh, that's not fair at all. It never is. Never is. <laughs> OK, two more questions, Whitney, and then I swear we're going to let you go. OK, let's say a woman is in her late 30s, somewhere t- between 35 and 40. This is going to be a tough question, by the way, and I don't know if no. you'll be able to answer it. OK, I'll but tell you if I can't. This did come up. In your opinion, based on what you've seen Where's the line between holding out to meet someone and starting a family in the traditional sense and just going it alone? Do you think it just comes down to desire? I think it's going to come from inside. Yeah. I feel like that's, I don't know that anyone can make that decision or recommendation or say what if they would do until they're in that actual situation. I think that's really tough. Um, I think about if I was in that situation, which I'm not. So it's an easier question for me to answer than someone that is. So I will Mm -hmm. put that disclaimer on it. If I hadn't met someone and I knew I wanted to be a mother, I would say around 35, 36, I would start looking into doing it alone, going at it alone. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because I know the data when it comes to ovarian reserve, but at the same time, with the technology that we have, I mean, women are getting pregnant later and later in life. So if that's not a decision someone feels comfortable with inside, I don't think there's anything wrong with holding out a little bit later. But remember that you may want to freeze your eggs if you're going to hold out, yeah. you know? Yeah. When I So that question did come up a lot when I saw it. It sort of hit me because... It's tough. Yeah, you. There is an element there of letting go of a, a future you had pictured. You know, a dream you probably had. But, and for that woman that ha- you know feels that, I would really recommend getting information on egg freezing. I really would. Again, it's not a hundred percent guarantee of having a baby, but it's giving hope. It's giving you an option or a chance mm-hmm. that you would otherwise may not have. Okay. And sometimes it's the peace of mind that you need. To say I did everything I could. Yeah. Okay. Final question, Whitney, and then we'll set you free. Okay. 
It's safe to say more or less that egg freezing has become more normalized. You know, I think people see it as a sort of trend, but I actually think it's in direct correlation with our options as women and Mm -hmm. our career options and having more options than just becoming a mother at a young age. So do you believe that women are falsely being led to believe that they have more time than they do? Like, is that the messaging that society gives us right now? I think without being properly educated, there can be a misconception when we see people in the public eye, Mm. um, getting pregnant later in life. And when we see these women that are getting pregnant in their fifties and you know, these celebrities, I think a lot of women are like, Oh, they can do it in their fifties. Oh my gosh. I've got time. But what you're failing to see is that's most likely a donor egg, or it's most likely they froze their eggs in the past. And that's what they're using because no woman in their fifties is going to be getting pregnant naturally like that. So I think that gives a false perspective Um, when we see in the media and everything that people are getting pregnant in their late forties, early fifties. Now, when women educate themselves about their fertility, when we have OB-GYNs on board, so when you're going in for your pap smear or your mammogram, they educate, you know, women hopefully on this topic. I think the more outreach we have to let women know about their reproductive systems. I mean, many women don't realize that they're born with all of the eggs that they'll have for their lifetime. And many women don't know that fertility starts to decline, you know, after 35, you know? So the education piece is crucial to younger America as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because the younger we can reach people and let them know that they have options, that they do have a biological clock as much as we don't want to think about it. I think that we will see more and more women making the decision to freeze their eggs and have more control in the future. Great answer. Mm-hmm. Whitney, you were such a wonderful and intelligent and well-spoken and educated guest. Thank you so much for sharing Thank your you. insight I mean, with and us. And your listeners are so educated. These questions, I mean, they were heavy-hitting questions. So <laughs> I love it. It was a some good them, challenge for me. Yeah, and some I of them elicit I, emotion. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I hope that I provided, you know, a little bit of um, comfort and kind of knowing about your body and so that you can make that decision to learn more if you choose to. I'm always an open book. So if anybody wants to reach out to get more information, they absolutely can. And like I mentioned at OVA, we do those educational conversations every single day and it's complimentary. So if someone's interested in doing that, please, please, please reach out. You don't have to be local to Chicago to do that. You don't have to be local to Chicago to freeze your eggs with OVA, but we'd be happy to hear from you. Fantastic. Thank you so much Thank for joining you, us, Whitney. This was great. Absolutely. This was very, very enlightening. Yeah, enlightening, informative. I'm a, I'm a little overwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> so much information. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're Thank welcome. You. Thank you. Have a great one. Bye. <sighs> wow, she was wonderful. Amazing. <laughs> I'm a little overwhelmed by all the information. It's really like like talking to a living encyclopedia. Like she just had answers quickly and thoroughly to everything. Yeah, you could tell that she's very experienced and has Mm -hmm. seen a lot. That was a lot of truth bombs. Mm -hmm. You know, that last question about have we as women been sort of misled to think that we have more time than we do? I actually think we have. Yeah. Like when she talked about celebrities and the people in the media getting pregnant. You know, it's funny. I, I never even thought of it because I often see these 
you know, these news headlines, like so-and-so has baby at 48, 49. I'm like, wow, they must just have a lot of money to keep like working on it. But no, it's that they probably froze their eggs like 15 years ago. Yeah, or they had a donor. Or they had a donor, a surrogate, or who knows what happened. Yeah. And I will admit, I think I have fallen prey to that messaging because I have always felt, or at least not always, but I would say in the last five, five to 10 years have felt like I could get pregnant in my 40s. No problem. I know that might sound naive, but as someone who is really career focused and also in an industry where people don't have as many kids, honestly, I always just thought it was sort of an option that you could sort of put off. What I think humans are so funny. It's like humans always confuse physical evolution with cultural evolution. Yeah. Like they just assume, well, because people are waiting later to have kids, their bodies are naturally just going to be like, okay, we'll, we'll join along with that. No, your body is the same body it was a million years ago. Well, yeah, and now there's, it's science I, that allows are, them to do it. But I but, feel like, I, I know what you're saying. It's true. You sort of confuse the two. It's right. like, oh, I have all these options. But if actually, if you aren't utilizing the science no. that indeed your body is the same you as have it the was. same body yeah. as someone in the you know elizabethan era had except you are now deciding culturally to wait longer mm-hmm. that they don't correlate yeah like it's still the same eggs still yeah. the same ovaries so without this medicine nothing has changed you're just waiting longer and it's an important piece of truth i think you know for it could become a very tragic story if you suddenly think that yeah 40 is fine what era did you say elizabethan yeah so an elizabethan tragedy an elizabethan tragedy (laughs) Yeah, yeah yeah in that sense you know she did provide comfort she said, I hope I provided comfort. She did. But at the same time, I also, there was a lot of brutal truths, mm-hmm. yeah. things that I wasn't expecting. The age 35, I thought that was a bit of like alarmist mm-hmm. language. You know, it's like, oh, 35, that's your number. And she's right. Of course, your body doesn't know. Your ovaries don't know that you have turned 35. Right, it's a ballpark. Yeah, it's ballpark. But nonetheless, that was more, more severe than I was expecting. Mm. The entire messaging, honestly. Let's quickly talk about how insane this is from a scientific standpoint. Incredible. Humans are pretty cool at times. It's so incredible. All this stuff. It's not, there's not enough attention paid to this. Yeah. Because it's not sexy in the same way that, you know, fancy machines or like, you know, software, you know, apps, cool apps are, you are going to space, but it's just as incredible, if not more incredible, the stuff that we're doing with human bodies is incredible. Yeah. And it's like some people might even have, I was thinking of asking this question, which I'm, I'm glad I didn't. It's not necessary. <laughs> but, you know, obviously, and we're not going to state any of our opinions here. We know that's going to cause trouble. But <laughs> yeah, obviously, abortion is a huge controversial issue yeah, in this yeah, country. Yeah. And I'm curious, is the creation, sort of the antithesis of abortion, the artificial creation of life in the lab, Yeah. does that have a similar kind of anti-movement, Actually, like, like, oh, you're going against God's will or that stuff? I wonder And that I wonder too. if clinics like hers actually get that kind of hatred or that kind of, you know, antagonism the same way abortion clinics would. I don't think it's, I don't think it's nearly as much, but I bet you it exists. And I bet you that's an issue they contend with. That's a great thought. And it did cross my mind when she was going into detail of removing the fluid mm-hmm. and separating the eggs and freezing the eggs. It There is a lot of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Meddling. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so I, I do wonder. I'm sure there are yeah, people out there high that high level meddling, <laughs> very advanced yeah. meddling. Okay, so let's talk costs for a second. Hmm. When she started talking about the long term of it, so at first I was like, okay, ten to fifteen to freeze your eggs. Yeah. This shit ain't cheap. No, it ain't. If you think about the, you know what it is. It just makes you really want to freeze your eggs at 24 years old because yeah. then you have a higher success rate and you can get more eggs. But man, oh man, like to know that it might take more than one cycle. It most likely will take more than one cycle. And then you have to add on using that egg yeah. in the end. It's, sure. It was really, people aren't kidding when they say investment. Mm-hmm. I mean, luckily for me, it's nothing. That is so unfair. You could just come into a cup. Yeah, but there are other problems men have. We have to like be like, you know, hide our emotions and <laughs> just deal with stuff. Women definitely have to deal with more physical trauma and pain. There's no question about that. Absolutely. Emotionally, you guys it's, have it's your issues. It's absurdly um, imbalanced. It's abs- yes. Thank you for saying that. Man, it's absurd. It's cartoonishly imbalanced. Cartoonishly, yep. I agree. She was great. Great conversation. Fantastic. I just learned a lot more than I'd like to admit. Isn't that great when someone comes from the bachelor world and makes such good? Yeah. Like, well, that's what I love about her. We're going to talk about her separately from the topic for a yes. second. But I love Whitney. Did she's still doing what she did when she was on the show? She's still the advocate the same way she was then for freezing yep. one's eggs and for general fertility awareness. She, I feel like she's one of the few people that posts to Instagram possibly even less than I do. Like she's she's living her life. She has and a she normal won happy life. The Bachelor. Yeah. Let's be let's be clear. Yeah. She won, and she still was like, "This is what I do, yeah. and this is what I will continue to do, and I will do it even more yeah. after this." Yeah, she in fact just uses her platform to raise awareness for this topic. It's really fantastic. It really is. You know, people I think underestimate how much that experience and suddenly having a lot of followers, she has a a lot of followers, Mm -hmm. can change your life, your goals, your your career. Yeah. You know, suddenly if you have all these other options, maybe what you went in doing nine to five is not so appealing anymore. It really, there's real passion behind what she does. Absolutely. She leveraged the show for good. For good. And for her passion. And for her passion. Yeah. That's lovely. Yeah. Big fan. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> likewise. Uh, any other, anything else to say about this? Andy? No, I learned a lot. I was mildly embarrassed <laughs> at my lack of knowledge and certain things that I learned that I should have known. <laughs> but it was incredibly informative. Isn't it cool how this podcast allows us to just sit down with these people who just know so much about what they do? Well, we get like these, these like college or like post-grad level education, like these intense- Like rapid fire hour, hour and a half. <laughs> courses like we're going to teach you everything about fertility right now if you want to know more about whitney and what she does you can follow her on instagram at wit w-h-i-t-b the letter b 624 and her clinic is called ova egg freezing that's in chicago illinois and it's at ova egg freezing O-V-A. Yes. I think we can wrap there. Absolutely. If you guys enjoyed what you heard today, you can keep Dear Shandy in business by liking, subscribing, hitting the notification bell, following us on Instagram, leaving us Apple podcast ratings and reviews. And did I say telling your friends already? If you didn't say it again, tell your friends again and all the things you would do to support a podcast you enjoy. 
And on that note, I think we can wrap. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and we will see you next time on Dear Shandy. Bye. Dear Shandy.